This is Theology Refresh. David Mathis here at DesiringGod.org. And we're taking a new topic up here for the refresh, just called Narnia. I'm here with Joe Rigney, professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Joe, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, Joe and I are both dads of young children. I have twin three-year-olds. He has a four-year-old and two-year-old. Uh, our families are good friends and live nearby. Neither one of us have taken our uh, boys through the Chronicles of Narnia yet, but we're both very excited to do it. I frankly haven't given it a whole lot of thought. I'm not a Narnia expert. Joe, on the other hand, has given it some good thought. He Can I say that you have a book manuscript related to Narnia? Yes, you can say that. Okay, he, <laughs> He's done some thinking on I thought it'd be helpful here if we talked Narnia with Joe. And there's some uh, windows into other aspects of Christian theology and living that'll be helpful here, but we'll take Narnia as the focus. Uh, first of all, Joe, starting at the very beginning, what is Narnia? Narnia is this imaginary world created by C.S. Lewis, um, which he uh, elaborates on and, and shows us the entire sweep of it from creation to consummation um, in his seven chronicles uh, that he wrote uh, towards the end of his life. And um, they're these you know, well-loved uh, Christian uh, stories, not allegories. He said specifically they're not allegories, but there are a number of Christian themes um, uh, that pervade the entire stories. And, uh, and in particular, uh, Aslan, the main character, um, is essentially what would the Son of God have been like if there was a world like Narnia with talking animals and dwarves and things like that? What would it have been like if the Son of God became incarnate in that world? That's, that's what he set out to do. Um, and so uh, Christians and non-Christians have loved the stories as stories. They're just well-written stories. Um, but then Christians have always appreciated this additional layer um, having to do with these Christian themes. And then, uh, if for, for the advanced student, uh, Michael Ward's done a great book uh, called uh, Planet Narnia, or the Narnia Code is a is his po- more popular level version of that book, um, where he finds additional layers that mm. Lewis is trying to work in there, um, which go far beyond what I would do with a four-year-old. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing thing for, uh, I think I can say, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century to put himself to writing books that would be loved and heard by children. Yeah, it is. And I think, um, partly based on some of this work that Ward's done, that in the end, uh, people will look back at the Narnian Chronicles, not just as sort of great children's literature, but as a literary accomplishment, um, one of the great ones of the 20th century. I think that they're that kind of book, what Lewis accomplishes in these books in terms of this layered uh, communication. Um, is really profound and I think really unique in terms of literature, period, let alone children's mm-hmm. literature. And so it, that, that sort of thing, I think our great-great-grandchildren, when they're in college, will be studying these for their literary value and not just for their sort of pleasure uh, mm-hmm. or delight. That's good. So what we say here hopefully will be beneficial to anyone who's listening and just reading the books for themselves. However, you and I have particular interest as dads. So for dads and moms who want to bring their young children or middle-aged children into uh, the world of Narnia, is there a are there right ways and wrong ways to do it? What kind of advice would you have, and what ways will you be seeking to live out with your boys in the years to come? So I don't think that there's a single right way uh, to introduce the books to, to kids. Um, I would say that it's probably best to introduce the kids to the books first. There's movies now, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's possible that you could do the movies first. And I think it's far better, and this is our plan, um, I want my kids to soak in uh, Narnia, to live in Narnia in the books themselves for a while. 
um, because I think that the the movies deviate in some fairly significant ways um, from the from Lewis's vision, and I want my kids to be able to spot that. Um, so that doesn't mean if you've already if your kids have already watched the movies and never read the books, that's okay. Um, the movies can actually drive people to the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, my, my hope is to introduce them to the books first. But there's really, there's not a, a right way, right? Um, the, the children in the, in the stories get into Narnia in all sorts of ways, right? Some go through a wardrobe, some thro- fall through a picture, some walk through a doorway in a wall. Um, and so there's all sorts of ways to get in. Um, the point is to actually get in. Um, having said that, um, my plan with m- my boys is um, to read to them. I want it, I'd like to read them uh, together. And, uh, and I intentionally plan not to mention all of the Christian themes, mm-hmm. right? So one of, one of the, 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 the title of the book that I'm, I've been working on is called Live Like a Narnian, and a, uh, Christian Discipleship in uh, the chron- uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles. So I'm, I'm coming at it from this Christian discipleship angle, and I think that's really there. Um, but I think that becomes really powerful only for someone who's lived in the stories long enough as stories. I want my boys to know them just as great stories. So I don't plan to point out every sighting of Jesus um, or every parallel between Jesus and Aslan or, every, or, or anything like that um, because I, I really want them to discover those things for themselves. Right? I'm, I'm, part of me is looking really eagerly looking for the day when my son Sam comes to me and, and says, Dad, is Aslan Jesus? <laughs> um, and then to say, well, why do you think that? And, ha- and then now we have this conversation and there'll be a, a kind of an... Uh, an ownership in his own little heart um, that I really want to see happen. That's good. And for the parent in thinking through uh, the level of authority or influence of the Chronicles of Narnia, say to other things in the Christian life. Yeah. So some some parents get really worried. In fact, some Christians they get to be high school get, get to be in high school and think I think I love Aslan more than I love Jesus, and they're really uh, bothered by this. And uh, personally, I'm, I'm not very bothered by that um, because I think what they love about Aslan is what Lewis intended to be uh, about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I would pit them um, in that way. Um, Lewis, in fact, said, you know, I thought maybe these stories would allow us to sneak past the watchful dragons, right? <laughs> I always felt this, I, you know, I felt like because I'm That's supposed right. to feel something about Jesus, that actually killed the worship. And this fairy tale thing can actually sneak around that obligation, and all of a sudden I'm seeing the gospel um, in its true power. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I'm not too worried about that. I would say, um, here's how I view them. I, I would view the Narnian Chronicles not obviously as equivalent to Scripture or anything like that. Scripture's ultimate. But I would view it in the same category as sermons that I've heard that have been very influential on me, uh, devotional writings, uh, theological text, big, thick theological text, accountability groups, small group accountability. Um, it's one of those, I'd put it in that category of Christian encouragement and edification. And th- the thing about it, though, is that I really, uh, there's not a lot of sermons that my four-year-old is going to be able to track with. Uh, he's not old enough to read, so devotional writings aren't really going to do a whole lot. Jesus Storybook Bible, things like that, we do those, um, and he loves them. Um, uh, small group accountability is a foreign concept um, to him. But what can he understand? Well, he gets stories. And so there's ways of shaping, molding, forming his imagination and his character uh, through Narnia um, that can have the same kind of effect, I think, that other things can have when you're an adult. That's good. 
Um, what, what does the reality of Narnia then say for us as parents and as Christians about other fiction, um, Lord of the Rings, or fiction not penned by Christians? How do we think through that? Yeah, so um, I think one of the things it shows, and Lewis was very well aware of this, um, is the, the power of stories. Stories really do have this shaping power. We, be, we place ourselves in them. They help us to interpret our own experience. In fact, um, one line in, uh, one of my favorite lines in the Narnian Chronicles is where Aslan tells Lucy, you know, the whole reason you were brought into Narnia is that by knowing me here for a little while, you might know me better there, back in your own world. Mm-hmm. So Lewis's whole idea is that you soak yourself in this fairy tale, in this alternative world, this secondary world, what, that's what Tolkien called them, secondary worlds. But then the whole point is that then you re-enter the primary world, the world God made, you're different, you're shaped, you're molded in a, in a particular way. You've breathed Narnian air, and, and now you're ready to re-enter it. So um, all fiction, whether it's uh, books or movies, um, has this power to shape us in this way, to shape the kind of people we think we are, the kind of story we think we're in, um, which then requires a kind of discernment. Um, doesn't mean you wouldn't read stories by non-Christians at all. There's lots of great stories by non-Christians that I would encourage people to read. But you need to know what the books are trying to do. They're trying to get you to see certain things as good and certain things as bad. There's assumptions. There's there's a whole um, uh, matrix of character-forming qualities about stories, and you need to know what they're trying to do so that if you don't want that to happen, you put some defenses up um, so that you don't begin to call things that God calls evil good. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in other cases, you're, you're doing it precisely because that is the direction I want to go, and, and these stories have a particular power to get me there. Yeah. So one controversy is the ordering of the books. Yeah. Uh, as you start reading the books with Sam, your son, uh, where are you going to start? What's your recommendation? Be? Yeah, um, it would be a, it's a recommendation, and, it, and again, the, the, there's no right way. I'll preface it with that. However, um, because I think that there's, uh, Lewis intends for us to have this um, encounter with Aslan, to come to know him in certain ways and to then to see Jesus through him, um, I think you've got to start with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the simple reason is this. Um, the Lion, in, the Witch, and the Wardrobe introduces Aslan um, as though we don't know who he is. So if you start with any other book, you're going to know who Aslan is, and all sorts of things that Lewis is doing, real subtle things about building anticipation and excitement. Who is this? Who is this King of the Beast? Who is this that we're going to meet? Who are they going to see? All of that is just obliterated if you've read uh, The Magician's Nephew, which is normally the book that gets put first in the uh, HarperCollins editions. Um, they put that one first. It's the creation story, so they think that goes first. If you start there, you already know who Aslan is, and all of that anticipation is lost. And I think um, for the first time through, if it's possible for you to read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Silver Chair, Horse and His Boy, Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the order that they were published in. If it's possible for you to do that with your kids the first time, I think you absolutely should. After that, once they're familiar, once they know everything about it, well, then they can read them in any order. If they have a favorite, let them read that 10 times in a row. I have a favorite, um, and, uh, and so I read that one more than I read all the other ones, and that's fine. But the first time through, um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is where it's at. Mm-hmm. So, in, you know, we're, we're sitting here as parents with little ones, and we haven't gone through the whole thing. So in some way, this is, it's a plan. It's speculative. Right. Any other, anything else you'd have to add as, as part of your plan as you dive into this with your boys? Um, 
I think, uh, I think I would just underline that aspect of uh, breathing Narnian air. The way that I expect these things to form my boys is the same way that I've been formed. And, and, I, and I'll say for myself, um, the, um, there are so many aspects of my parenting philosophy. There's so many aspects of my interaction with other people. My, my, uh, my theology has been really shaped. There's been times in my life uh, of doubt and depression where it's, that's the means. And the Narnian stories themselves have been the means that God has used to, to keep me moving. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I want to anchor those. I want to offer those at least so that if, if God should be pleased to, to use those in similar ways for my, my sons, um, I would just be, I would be thrilled. And I hope, you know, at some point, then we do get to have these sort of high-level conversations about, you know, when they're grown, when they're teenagers, when they're in college and so forth, that we can have these conversations about the, the things that we love, that the, we've both journeyed into Narnia, we've both come back, and we're, we're old friends having it out about what a great time we had there. That's good. Would you close us in prayer for the dads who will be reading these books to their kids, or just individual readers as well? Sure. Father, we are grateful for your grace that you've given us in your word, and we're grateful that the word then authorizes us to tell uh, other stories, stories that picture and image different aspects of who you are and what you've done in real history through Jesus. And so we're grateful for the grace you gave to C.S. Lewis, that he wrote these books, um, and that they have had the enduring power that they have. And I pray for uh, parents and children who and kids of all ages who will be uh, reading these books in the coming months and years, um, that you would do the shaping work that I believe you and C.S. Lewis intended to happen, that the kind of qualities, the kind of hearts, the kind of minds, the kind of patterns of thinking and feeling that appear in the stories would take shape in uh, your people um, and would even draw some uh, into your people. Um, that would be maybe their first encounter with the beauty of the gospel um, that would then lead them past the watchful dragons to Jesus himself. So would you do that great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.